As you talk to the people around you about their first jobs, my guess there were quite a few grocery stores, uh, lifeguarding, babysitting, maybe mowing. I mean, those tend to be the jobs that all of us start out with. My first job, if you can read mine from where you are, but I know you can, it was landscaping. I was a landscaper. I was 13 years old. A guy in our church worked in the, the railroad business. He was, didn't own railroads. He built the railroads. Uh, that was his full-time job, but his training was in landscaping. And so he'd always wanted to start a landscaping business. And so he was beginning to start this landscaping business. And so one day he's like, hey, Chad, do you want to come help me? Now, I was 13 years old at the time. And I'm like, sure, I got nothing better to do. And so I went with him to this job site. The land was owned by a cardiologist, and he was going to put this huge mansion on it. There's tons of acreage, and so our job was to, to grass the whole area, and then we, he had a pond there. We were putting trees up and bushes and plants and everything you can imagine. And so that very first day, I went with him. We got there, and he said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get on the tractor and grade some of the land over on the other side so that we can get it prepared for the grass. He said, I want you to stay right here in this specific area. Here's your job. I want you to pick up all the rocks and sticks and roots you can find and throw them in the woods. I think I worked for about 12 and a half minutes that day. I was there about four or five hours. Most of the time I laid in the back of his pickup truck just thinking, what am I doing? This is the worst job ever. At the end of the day, he was gracious. I think he paid me 25, 30 bucks. And for a job that I hated, I ended up doing that for the next 10 years, every single summer. And when I was out of school, just because it wasn't a bad job at all, and I got a great tan during the summertime. When you're young, the majority of us had some job that we did, right? And now we're a little bit older, and we have another job. And, and hopefully over time, the paychecks have increased at least a little bit. But when we think about work, work is one of those things that's kind of hard because, I mean, we, we work all over the place. We work in offices. Uh, some of us work in our homes. We, we telecommute. Some of us travel for work. Uh, others of you, you're, you're a stay-at-home parent, and so your work is there in the home. But, but when we think about work, work's kind of one of those tough things in life, isn't it? When we think about some of these statistics, we spend 60% of our waking hours working. Now, here in this region, it may be more like 80, 85 percent. And we spend a lot of time of our waking hours working. Yet in 2013, Gallup did a poll, and they found that 70 percent of people who live in America are frustrated with their jobs. Worldwide, they found that number to be 87 percent. We change jobs about every 4.4 years, and by the time that we are 40 years old, we have had 10 jobs. Some of you in here are like, that's really low. Because we change constantly. And then here's what I want you to think about, too. What evening is the most depressing evening of the week? Today. And it's not because your football team stinks and they're going to lose their first game today. Right? And it's not depressing because you came on Sunday morning and the pastor says something and it, it just changed your life and you're really thinking about it. It's not you forget by 12 o'clock what we talked about. But it's work. In, in fact, right now, some of you are starting to sweat profusely. Right? You're starting to get that headache, you're getting hives, and it's all because work is coming tomorrow. You're frustrated with it. You don't like it. You don't like the people you work with. You don't like the job that you have. You're probably not abnormal in those feelings. But over the next few weeks, as we go through this series called TGIM, we're going to talk about our work world. Now, I know you're familiar with TGIF, thank God it's Friday, and some of you, it's not even Monday yet, and you're already thinking about Friday and how great it's going to be, aren't you? 
But do we ever really think about Monday as a thing, as a day that we thank God for? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to work on kind of changing our feelings, our mentality, our attitude about work. And hopefully we can get to a place when we finish the series, we're going to say, hey, you know what? Thank God it is Monday morning. And so I challenge you over the next five weeks to be here every single week as we talk about different aspects of our work world. And again, this is, this is talking to everybody that's here, whether you are in an office or you're a stay-at-home parent. I believe what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks can challenge and change the way that we view the work that we do. But we've got to start out with a question. Why do we work? Well, some of us work to pay the bills. I owe, I owe, it's off the work I go. You know that little rhyme? Probably not. But you got to pay the bills. You got to pay those school loans off from 25 years ago. Credit card debt. Hey, it's kind of nice to have some food on the table. It's nice on, on weekends like this where it's raining that, that we have shelter over our heads. And so we work to pay the bills. For others of us, we work for our identity. Think about the first question we ask people when we meet them. It's like second or third question in, what do you do? And so what do we do? We identify those people by their jobs. Well, many people identify themselves by the jobs that they have. And so your identity is why you work. For others, we work because of the purpose behind the organization. We, we've given up a piece of our income, a piece of our, our paycheck, because we said we believe in this organization and what they do and what they're about. And so, so we work because there's a purpose behind the work that we do. And then lastly, in a place like this, it's about success. We work for success. We, we work for awards. We work for accolades. We work for recognition. See, every single one of us in here, I think we really think about this. We work for one of those four reasons. Maybe you work for all four, which is totally fine. Here's what's interesting. If we look at the Bible, there's nothing in Scripture that says, if you do these four things, they're amazing, great accomplishments. Jesus isn't like, yeah, you got paid today. Yeah, now you can pay off that credit card bill. Jesus isn't up in heaven saying that. Or, yeah, you got that amazing award. This is incredible. Man, I've been waiting for this for your whole life. This is amazing this is taking place. We don't find that in Scripture. And so these are the reasons that we work, but yet is there a really a better purpose for the work that we do? This morning, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. We're going to start out by talking about the purpose of work. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles there in the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. We will put it up here on the screens. If you have your Journey Church app, if you don't have the Journey Church app, make sure you download that. We put all of our announcements. Everything you can imagine is on there. It's a way that you can give. Uh, there's a Bible on there. There's a way that you can take notes every single Sunday. Uh, or open up or pull out your program and you can take notes there today. But I want to start out with Genesis 1, verse 26 this morning. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every little or every living creature that moves on the ground. We see those words and we find humanity's very first job. Humanity's first job is to be CEO. God's like, here's the deal. I want you to rule over everything. 
I want you to reign over the animals. You're in charge. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty nice gig, doesn't it? Sounds like a great job. I mean, all of us want to be CEO. But then something happens. Something changes. Move forward to Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 17. It says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We read those words right there from Genesis 3, and we say to ourselves, this is why work stinks. This is why I hate my job. This is why I'm frustrated with my job. This is why I dislike the people in my job, because God cursed the work. Go back and read that again. God doesn't actually curse the work. Do you notice what God curses? He curses the ground. He curses the conditions of the ground. And yet we like to go around and say, this is the reason that work is so frustrating. God's like, no, 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 you don't get it. You're missing the point. The ground is cursed, the conditions are cursed, but not the work. So if God didn't curse the work, then why is it so hard for us to get up on Monday mornings and do the jobs that we do? I think it's pretty simple for us. It starts with our attitude. What kind of attitude do you and I have towards the work that we do? In fact, we can answer that question pretty pretty easily if we, we ask certain questions about ourselves. Like, why do I hate my job? Why does my job frustrate me? Why do I dislike the people that I work with? I mean, once we begin to be introspective about who we are and our attitude towards work, we can begin to understand our feelings about the work that we do. But the question again is, how do we change that? Well, we change our attitude towards work. And we begin to look at work differently than maybe we have before. And I think the best beginning place is to say, what if we begin to see God in our work? What if you and I began to see God in our work? Now, there are different views of this, of of faith and and work, and I'm going to share with you four this morning. Uh, The first one's called triumphalism. Triumphalism is this view of work and faith that says the world is terrible, the world is, is horrible, and it's the job for Christians to take it back. And if Christians take back the world, then everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. Really, the idea is here we conquer the world. Sounds like a good idea, but we've tried it before back in the medieval church, and (laughs) it didn't turn out very well for most people, did it? And yet some people believe that when it comes to work and faith, that's the idea. Let's let's let Christians take over the world. Uh, Another idea is withdrawal. Which says that you have faith over here, you have work over here, and, and the two are totally separate. And so work, and you just work for, to make money. And you just work to make money so you can pay the bills. That's it. And then your faith is something totally separate. Your faith is separate from the work, and you, you never intertwine those, those two areas of life. And so basically you're a separatist when it comes to your faith. Again, probably not the best method. The, the third one we have, the third view of faith and work is evangelism. Now, I know some of you are like, well, hold on, time out a second. 
I, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. Here's what the struggle has been with evangelism, is that we've said the only reason we work is to evangelize the people that are there. It's not about the job. It's not about the work we do. Who really cares about the work we do? It's all about us getting into this job, into this place, into this team, so that we can convert every single person that is on that team. And so we've said, that let's take work and, and, and faith and put it together and evangelize everybody there. We've seen that happen in recent evangelical circles, and it's not quite the best way to do what we need to do when it comes to faith and work. Because I think there's a fourth way, and I think this is a powerful way for us to view faith and work, that if we understand this, this can change our attitude about the work that we do. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes these words. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter writes these words to the dispersed church in Asia Minor. The people in that church mostly would have been Jewish Christians. Some of them would have been Greek Christians. But he uses a lot of terminology and phrases that come straight out of the Jewish faith. And, and what we read right here in 1 Peter 2.9, these are words that we find in Exodus. And so Peter's trying to make this connection with the people who are listening to and reading these words that he wrote. And he uses this term here. It's the term we're going to focus on for the rest of our time. He uses this term priesthood. Priesthood. He says, you're a royal priesthood. Now, he's not talking about some governmentally sanctioned job, all right? What he's talking about right here, he's talking about one thing. He's talking about people who are followers of Jesus, that we're followers of Jesus. He says, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a priest. Think about the role of a priest for a moment. The role of the priest is to represent the values of the king. And in this case, it's the role of the priest to represent the values of King Jesus. To make society better. The role of the priest isn't to help people withdraw from society. It's not to, to conquer society. It's not to evangelize every single person that's around you and that be the only reason that you do what you do. It goes beyond that. The role of the priest is to engage in society, to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a priest. And your job is to be a representative of Jesus in the places that we work. Again, whether that's in an office, a government building, your telecommuting, your stay-at-home parents, our job is to be a representative of Christ right where we work and where we live. See, our work reflects God, and our work reflects who Christ is. That attitude that you have at work, the type of ethics that we have at work, the words that we use, you know what those things do? They reflect Christ to other people. Our emotions at work, our feelings, the way we respond to certain situations— Guess what? They reflect Christ to others. Because if you and I are followers of Jesus, as Peter says, we're priests, which means we reflect Christ to the world around us. Now, we hear this and think, some of us will say, I'm on it. Tomorrow morning, that is me. I hate my job. I hate the people I work with. I can't stand my commute. Tomorrow's going to be a totally different day. I'm going to be a priest at work. Then you're going to go to work. 
And the project's not done that you asked to be done before Monday morning. The presentation's not finished. Details were left out. Or you find out somebody that works underneath you or above you has been talking about you to someone else. Hey, how much Jesus do you have in your life at that point? Not a whole lot. At that point, it's reaction time. It's like, oh, wow. Man, that was okay yesterday morning, but now i got to actually go to work. But here's what I want you to think about. And, again, I think this is so important. When you berate somebody at work and other people see it, even if they don't, if it's just in front of that person, you're reflecting Christ to them. When you get on to somebody, you get angry at them because they leave out a few details, you know what? You're reflecting Christ to them. When you go to that parents group and you complain about your mom, or excuse me, about your, your mom, you can complain about your mom all you want to, I guess, right? Um, she's not here. Um, I'm just kidding. Please don't. Your moms are great. My mom's awesome. When you complain about your wife, your husband, and your kids, we're reflecting Christ to other people. When we go through our life at work and we lie, cheat, and we steal, we're reflecting Christ. When you cut out early every single day, you know what? People notice. And in that, we are reflecting Christ to them. But if we're followers of Jesus, if that's what we claim to be, we are called to something so much bigger and so much higher than what we see played out or even that we express in our own lives. We are called to be priests. We are called to be examples of Christ in the places that we work. Now, I know some of you are sitting there right now, and you're like, but you don't know the people I work for, Chad. I mean, if you knew, you wouldn't say this. Or you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know who they are. You don't know what it's like to be in that home with them. And so this is kind of hard for me to reflect Christ to those around me. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying that sometimes you might, not, you might need to vent, okay? But there's ways to vent in healthy ways. And I'm not saying that sometimes you, you can't really get onto your team because I know sometimes teams need a little kick in the pants, right? But there, there are healthy ways to do that. If you and I could begin to change our attitude and the way that we see our work and understand that as a follower of Christ, we are a priest in the places that we work, and that Christ is reflected by us, I honestly believe it changes our attitude and it changes the way that we speak, the things that we do, the way that we react, our actions, and the world that we work in. That's what you and I are called to do. That is what you and I are called to be. Now, why is this important? It's pretty simple. God's blessings. I truly believe that when you and I accept the, the mantle of priest as followers of Christ, when we accept that, when we hold on to that, God will use you and I to bless the lives of others that we work with. That boss you can't stand, if we understand our role, God's going to use you to bless them. That worker who never gets anything done on time that you want to fire tomorrow morning when you walk in, but you know you can't because you've got to document everything for six months. You know what? God will use you to bless them. Those kids that your spouse leaves in the morning to go off to their job, which is like a vacation for them because you've got to deal with them all day long. And here it's not just like eight hours. It's like 10 or 12 hours. You know what? If our attitude is right, God will use us to bless our children. 
we lose focus on that. When you hate your job and you hate the people you work with and you're frustrated by it, you know what God can't do? God can't bless the lives of others. And you know why? Because everybody knows you hate your job, you hate them, and you're frustrated with your job. They know it. But God's like, hey, let me use you to bless others. I know it's not a perfect job. I I know it's got holes. I I know there's things you would change. I I know that this is a hard place for you to be. But but if we changed our attitude and understand our role as priest, man, I know that God would use us to bless the lives of so many people that we work with. But we can't bless others when we hate what we do. So this is why we're going to focus on this one scripture for the next five weeks comes out of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 23. Here's what it says. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want us to read this together, okay? I want us to read this together. Ready for this? Here we go. One, two, three, go. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Working that Greek word there for whatever, it's, it's pretty amazing. Here's the word. It means whatever, all right? <laughs> That's what the Greek means. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Listen to these words from Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a 16th century theologian, really sort of the catalyst to the Protestant Reformation. Here's what he said because he understood this. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Whether you're a maid, a shoemaker, whether you work for the FBI, Secret Service, DOJ, you're a researcher, you're a student, you're a teacher, you're a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, you're an artist. Whatever it is you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for Jesus. Not for the people that you're working with. Now that's a part of what we have to do. But if our focus is on Christ, if our reality is that we are a priest called by God in the places that we work, God will use us to bless those around us if our heart is in the right place. We look at work and think it's a necessary evil. But the truth is that God looks at work and says, your work, it matters to me. And so if that's true for God, then God should matter to our work. This leads me for us to ask two questions. And these are personal questions that we have to answer, I believe. And the first one is, How does God matter to your work? How does God matter to your work? How does God matter to the work that you do? Here's the deal. You have been given gifts and abilities and skills. Maybe a few other people have. And so you have this job because of of those gifts and abilities and skills that you've been given. You've climbed the the corporate ladder because of that. You've moved up in rank because of that. People have watched you and they've coached you and they've led you. And you're at the place you are now because of that. Because of the skills and abilities you have. How are you using that within the work world to show that God matters to you? You're a stay-at-home mom. You're a stay-at-home dad. I know that that, man, that can be 
I can't even imagine it. I mean, kudos to you. I think you get extra blessings in heaven because of that. It's hard work. My wife did it for the first, uh, I don't know, 10 years of our, our when we started having kids. Uh, we decided you're going to stay home with the kids. We're going to take a huge financial hit, but this is important to us. And so she did that. And I know that was super hard for her to do that. And I know many of you, you do that here. That's tough. I get that. But you know what? You've been getting skills, skills abilities, and gifts to lead your kids. And so that work you do with them all day long, guess what? That matters to God. And so how does God matter to the work that you do? How are you and I using the skills and abilities, the gifts that we've been given, to impact the lives of those around us? Because if we accept that mantra, that mantle of being a priest, as followers of Christ, God will use us to bless others. And so how does God matter to our work? But then that leads us to the second question. What story do you want to tell? Because I truly believe if we understand the story that we want to tell, then we can understand how to best use our gifts, abilities, and skills that we've been given. I know that um, one day I'm going to walk off this stage for the last time. I hope it's because I'm retiring, not because they said leave the stage now. Um, or if I get called to that beach church somewhere, then I may leave at that point. But... <laughs> Um, but I'm going to walk off the stage for one last time. And, and, and some of you are going to walk out of that office. You're going to walk out of that warehouse. You're going to walk off that post. You're going to walk out of that school. And it's going to be your last time. And, and you know what? For many, many years, you have been identified by your job. You've been identified by your title. But that's going to end. And at that point, point, does anybody really care about your title or your accomplishments or your awards what you did? Probably not. But one thing will still be present, I pray and hope. And that's our faith in Christ. That job may be over with and that identity may have ended, but our identity in Christ is still there. And so we're going to look back on our life. And we're going to have to answer this question. Did your work tell your story or did your faith? When people look at you, that they say, hey, he worked way too many hours. Hey, she was never at home. Or are they going to look back at you and are they going to say, you know what? That person was different. My life is different because of them and working alongside them and being a part of their lives. What story do you want to tell? In the end, I think that's the story we want to tell. I think those are the words that we want to hear. Not that they worked too hard. Not that they were gone all the time. Not that they went through four divorces because they couldn't keep their family together. Not that their kids can't stand them anymore because they were never around. But that we, they look at us and say, I am a different person because of the impact they had in my life. And maybe they know that you were a follower of Christ and that's why you were the person you were. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But I want my story to say that their faith was what was important. That their faith led them. That I was a better worker because of them. That I did my job harder because of them. That I'm transformed and different because of them being in my life. What's the story that your life will tell? And what story do you want it to tell? See, in the end, God doesn't care about your work. right? God doesn't care about the work that you're doing specifically. Let me rephrase that. God doesn't need your work. Let's put it that way. 
God does care about our work. God doesn't need our work. But you know who does? Your boss. The people who work underneath you, the people that work above you. Your teammate does. The students in your class do. Your kids do. They, they need your work. They need your heart and your soul to be in it. They need to understand that whatever you are doing, you're doing it with all your heart because of your love for Jesus. Our work matters to God, and so our work, or excuse me, so God should matter to our work. Um, as we think about that this morning, I want to challenge you with this. I want to go back to that verse that we've been reading or that we read together a little bit ago, Colossians 3.23. I want to invite you to do something over the next five weeks, a challenge to every single one of us here. Again, whatever kind of work you do. I want you to take these words and um, I want you to write them down. Maybe you've already written them down on your, uh, your notes today. Maybe you've got it on your phone. But I, I want you to write those words somewhere. Put them on a post-it note. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Um, wherever you look quite frequently throughout the day. And then I just want you to keep reading over these words over and over and over again. Every day. In fact, I want to, us to start this tonight. And, and here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I, I want you to, to read it and to say it and pray it tonight before you go to bed. Because some of you, you're, again, you're starting to get the hives. About that time, your blood pressure starts to go up, probably around 8, 30, 9 o'clock, thinking about tomorrow. And so before you go to bed, read it, say it, and pray it. And then when you wake up tomorrow morning and you, you grab your phone to turn it off, and you know, before you get on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat and take a picture of yourself, and like, hey, this is what I really look like in the morning type thing. Before you do any of that, before you even roll over to give your husband or wife a kiss with that dirty old breath you got, before you do any of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read it, say it, and pray it. And then when you get on the train and you're getting ready to get off the train tomorrow morning, and you're getting ready to get out of your car, read it, say it, and pray it. Before those kids come downstairs and cause chaos for the whole day because you've got to watch them, before you give them breakfast, read it, say it, and pray it. Then when you sit down in your office space or you get a quiet morning, moment when the, the kids are sleeping for their morning nap, read it, say it, pray it. Do this consistently over the next five weeks because here's what I believe God will do. God will begin to change our hearts. God will begin to change you and I in such a way that we're not going to be looking forward to Friday every single Sunday. We're going to be able to say, hey, you know what? Thank God it's Monday. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. As we head into our communion time this morning, I'm going to share with you a story you may be a little bit familiar with. Um, William Wilberforce was alive around 200 years ago and put an end to the British slave trade. But he didn't grow up a Christian. This is a picture of him. He didn't grow up a Christian. Uh, he grew up in an affluent home. Uh, all the money you could imagine, part of the political elite, had a seat on, on parliament. And many of his friends were trying to persuade him, hey, this is what it would look like for you to be a follower of Christ. And over time, he finally got to that place where he became a follower of Jesus. Well, Isaac Milner was one of his close friends, and he's the one who really was the catalyst for him to become a follower of Christ. Well, when Wilbur became a Christian, he thought, I need to get out of Parliament. I need to move from what I'm doing. I mean, I can't do as much work here as I could with some Christian organization. And by the way, a lot of times people think when they become followers of Christ and God starts to move in their life, they got to get out of their work and go into ministry. Man, I try to tell people, don't do that. Unless you just feel totally called to do that, don't do it. And the reason is because of stories like William Wilberforce. 
he decided to stay in his role. In fact, John Newton, the former slave ship captain who had become a pastor, had a huge influence in Wilberforce's life. He said, hey, William, it's God's will that you stay in Parliament. Wilberforce did just that. He stayed there. Because of this transformation that had happened in him, because he understood Colossians 3.23, he lived that out. And what did God do for that? Man, God blessed many, many people. He got rid of the British slave trade that was happening. That force is powerful when we understand the power that our work has when our attitude is right. And like William, we understand we are priests called to follow Christ so that God can bless the world. And right now we celebrate that transformation that can happen through communion. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. As you feel led, you can come to the front or the back. You can grab a piece of the bread and the juice and take it back to your seats. Remain standing. We're going to sing together. And at the end, we're going to commune together. We're going to take this together. If you came prepared to give or you filled out a connection card or one of our life group cards, drop them in the offering baskets that are here in the front or back. But what is God doing in your life? How is God impacting you so that you can wake up tomorrow morning to say, thank God, it's Monday. Let's commune together.